Um, today we're starting a new series. Uh, this new series is called Made New. And today we're going to set the groundwork for the rest of the series. Now, if you've been around the church very long, you know that there's a, 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 a series that we've had work through over and over again, the idea of dignity and words. And this is kind of an offshoot of that series. We try to land the plane on some practical things to kind of live out our God-given dignity and words in our everyday life. See, for years, religion has tried to teach us that, or even convince us, that God is so angry. I don't mean just a little angry. I mean, like, really, really angry. Like, so incredibly angry that if you just mess up a little bit, it's going to be a lightning bolt from heaven that just fries your sinful little butt. We all have this mentality that hangs around our neck of this oppressive version of God. But maybe if we scare people enough, we could like, you know, use that old Pentecostal term. We'll scare the hell out of you. We'll scare the hell out of you. You'll get saved and be like one of the saints from, from heaven itself. You know, it's not worked out real well. Anybody ever been in an environment like that? Been in an environment where the reality of church was the very time to scare you and terrify you to do the right thing rather than teach you how to do what God's called you to do? Many of us in that environment, that's what happened. We sinned anyway. Right? The, 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 the word from the pulpit, from the preacher, came down to heavy handed the deacons with their you know, perfect little ties and technicians. Everything looked so perfect on the outside, but all those folks were still sinning anyway. All those folks were still falling prey to the temptation of sin, and everybody who heard that message was still falling prey to the temptation of sin. This ideology does more wrong for the body of Christ than it does good. In fact, many times it destroys a person's self-worth. This theology has a way of destroying a self-worth to such a degree that it starts to destroy and decay our significance. It starts to destroy and take away from us the possibility of having a real relationship with God, where we can honestly go to Him, bearing all, showing all, and say, God, this is all of who I am, now take it, God, and do what you will with it. Let me help you out for a second. We all have these things in life. We've all faced trials, struggles, issues, temptations. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. Many of us have given in to things that we wouldn't, we wouldn't even share with our neighbors. Maybe we wouldn't share with our spouse. That doesn't make you a bad person. What it does is shows a place in your life where if the gospel were to shine through, it would clean you up and help you live at a different level or help you live at a different place. So I think for too long we've been taught this idea of this angry, vengeful God, and we haven't been shown the true light of the gospel. What happens is human anger is often fueled by wounded pride. We become petulant. We become vindictive. We lose control. And this is how many of us view the sense of an angry God. And it actually comes from Scripture, right? We maybe heard the Scripture and we've been taught this theology that God chastises those that He loves. Now, under Constantine, that word chastisement was, was redefined. And when you redefine a word, you can screw up the entire meaning of what's trying to be said or trying to be said by the original author. And under Constantine, the idea of chastisement was changed to mean to beat and to break. When its original definition meant to go or to guide a child as a father leading his little ones. 
You know, the Bible says that God chastises those that He loves, and means that He moves us, He guides us, He throws us in the right direction, not that He beats us senseless to try to figure out, help us figure out how to live this life. But unfortunately, how many of us view an angry, vengeful God that He would rather hurt you than help you? And in that, we lose the sense of what it is to truly be significant. Significant is a part of the human makeup. To be significant, to be meaningful, to have an effect and a major effect on those around us, to have a level of importance is something that we all feel in our hearts. As a pastor, I get the opportunity to sit with people in the last days of their lives. I get an opportunity to sit with folks who are literally dying, and many times even without their family, their friends with them and close I can hear many times the real truth of life, the real truth of their life. I've learned that so many people linger on in sickness and they hang on to life because there's this regret that's swelling in their heart. There's this regret that's swelling in their soul and they don't want to let go until they classify this one regret. They're afraid to let go. But many of us, they want to make sure that they live a life that matters. And as people are sitting there in their last hours and minutes of their life, many times they're rehearsing this number one regret. Do I feel significant? Was I significant enough in the lives of those around me? Was I significant? Did I do something of significance with my life? There's a search for significance that's real inside of every human person. Inside of everyone. We can't deny it. We can't escape it. We can't walk away from it. But I don't want to get to the point in my life where I realize I've wasted years, I've wasted decades without doing something that truly matters. I mean, most of us feel that way in our partner court. We don't want to come to the end of life wondering, God, did we really make a difference? Was our thumbprint really marked on planet Earth? We want to come to a place where we know that we've made a substantial difference in the lives of those around us, in our community, that we matter to someone. Even someone far beyond our children or spouse. Sometimes we take solace in the idea that, well, at least my kids will miss me. Or at least my wife, you know, still miss me, or my spouse will miss me. And I think even beyond that, most people struggle with the idea. If all I did was connect with my four and no more, that I didn't grow with my influence beyond my own family, that would really live a life that matters. See, today when we talk about this idea of made new, you are made new in Christ Jesus, and you are made new with a purpose. When you come to the cross of Christ, He remakes you, refashions you into the original intent of what He calls you to. And in that, you have a destiny that you need to accomplish. Our hearts long to belong. It's a God-given feeling. We're placed here on this earth to be significant and to do something of significance. We're here to make a difference, and just by living, our very presence makes a difference. But we have to determine what kind of difference we're making in the lives of those around us. We have to determine what kind of influence we're having on the world around us. You have your Bible, we're going to start here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to take a few verses out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. But 1 Corinthians 12 is about the gift of the Holy Spirit and how the people like us in the church community struggled to find a sense of significance, but so God bestowed on them gifts in which they would use to 
to impact the world around them. And as they use these gifts, Paul was directing their efforts in trying to explain to everyone how this all fits together. And it says in verse 12 this, it says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, for all the members of the, of, the, of the body, though they are many, they are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit you are all baptized into one body. Whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're slave or free, you were all made to drink of the one spirit. This is the words of Paul trying to encourage us that as we are finding our self significant in the body of Christ, when we are finding the gifts that God's laid at our feet and said, here, son, daughter, do this, it'll give you a sense of significance. Here, son, daughter, take this gift, it'll give you a sense of fulfillment. But as we are trying to find fulfillment in life, Paul says, don't think it's just about you. You're part of a body. You're part of an organism. You're part of a community and a culture that, as it drives forward, builds significance on each individual part. The quest for significance will either lead you to self-sacrifice or will lead you to self-centeredness. There are only two paths the search for significance will take. You will either go down one path or you will self-sacrifice and you will do so in order to raise the value of yourself to those around you. Or you'll lead a life of self-centeredness and you will push down, stomp on, and climb the ladder to make yourself feel good rather than developing the people around you. You'll find some way, somehow, to find and feel a sense or a degree of importance. You'll try to make your life count. To bring all the attention on yourself, you'll find significance through some activity or some action. We all do this. We have folks who part with their part of the sports team life, which makes them feel significant. You join the next bandwagon team who won the next championship. Why? Because it makes you feel significant. We join organizations that we work with, like John Deere and other organizations around the Quad City, sometimes because they're a good job, but other times because we want to feel a part of something that's bigger than us. It's more significant than you are by ourselves. Christians have a way of doing this, of making themselves feel significant, that looks good on paper, but in the end is all kinds of screwed up. And we hear this a lot in the church, not need to put on anybody, but it's the thing that becomes so important to them, this one thing, and they tell everybody about their, their thing. And you hear it like this, the person comes to church and they say, well, pastor, you know, this church would be great if you just did this. You know, this church, you know what it's missing? It's missing this. And you know what's really funny? I used to be irritated with this when it happened earlier on in the church. I used to be so tired of it. I'm like angry now. I had to call myself that. Because I always wanted to say, like, you know, if God is in you to come to church, why do you come to church? Because like, don't do it. Anyway, I don't say this things anymore. Um, but I feel, I feel like it. But what I recognized was what this is is a person who has to say, I need to feel significant. And I have gifts, and I have callings, and I have tools that I can bring to the table. And if you'll let me, I'll show you where I can help the church maintain a higher level of significance as I pour myself into the activity of the Christian community that I want to be a part of. 
And this is taken of the different way that people were trying to tell me what to do. And then I recognized and got a little older and a little wiser and a little knocked down a few times. I learned that people are really trying to share with the leadership. I have a need to feel significant. And in my need to feel significant, I'm going to look at the ministry and see where I can bring it to value. That's a good thing. You know, too many churches cut that off. Too many churches tell you, well, after you've served about 25 months in the kids' church, and after you've gone through 14 different classes, even though you've been saved for 47 years in a day, then we'll see if you're committed or not. But I'm not going to make you run through hoops. When God's already called you to a life of significance, God, let me help you out. If God called you to start a small group in this church, start it. Hold on to me. If God calls you to do an outreach in this church, go do it. We'll back you. If God calls you to an area of ministry, as long as it doesn't violate the sense of who we are and who we're trying to be, we will do everything we can to empower you. Why is that? You need to feel, you need to be, understand your significance. You don't have to, you don't have to go through hoops to earn it a second time here. And you don't really have to ask for those who've been failed before. You don't have to prove yourself again that even though you have a past failure, that finally you've earned enough of God's grace back to finally be in a place to do what He's called you to do. From day one, the moment you repent, you come back to God and say, God, I'm repenting, I'm coming back to you, God, I failed you before, and I need to get back into swing of things. At that moment, we will trust you. We might, you might trust and verify, but we will trust you because we're not trusting you. We're trusting the voice of the Holy Spirit, the movement of God in your life. So I'm going to again to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14. And Paul addresses this mess specifically. This is the message translation, and you know, the Bible is the translation. It's a message version. He says this after he talks about the gifts and how it's all work together and says, I want you to think about how all of this makes you more significant and not less. Also, listen, you're part of a bigger picture. You're part of a body. The body works together in tandem. And it has gifts and skills that it needs to apply for the body to work and the function appropriately. But understand that if you're part of one unit, as you're part of one body, this doesn't diminish you. It makes you more significant. Sometimes we think we need to lower the voices in the room for ours to be lifted high. Sometimes we think that somebody needs to lose in order for us to win. Let me help you. In the kingdom of God, no one has to lose for you to win. No one has to get the sword end of the stick for you to maximize your significance in what God's called you to do. And in terms of the word picture that Paul's trying to paint here, if I detach my arm from my body, it has no value to me. All of the pieces have to work together. If I built this body to work in the function as one, working together, attached to each other, connected to one another. Thomas Bird is one of my favorite authors. He's Catholic, but he's one of my favorite authors. And he says something very, very specific here. He says, for each one of us, there is only one thing necessary to fulfill our own destiny according to God's will. That there's one thing that's necessary for a believer. One thing that we have to accomplish on this planet. You don't have to worry about making your neighbor happy. You don't have to worry about making your spouse happy. Or it's a good thing. You don't have to worry about making your pastor happy. You need to accomplish what God calls you to do. 
But think about that for a second. You're a part of the very body of Christ. You are significant, not because you are on your own on an island, but because of who you are in Christ Jesus. Because of what you do as part of the body and what God's called you to. But how many times do we focus and think that in order for our significance to really shine through, that we've got to be brighter than some other parts? That we've got to be brighter than our sister or our brother? How many people think that ultimately to be really significant in the church, you've got to do what I do? But stand up here and talk. You know, not everybody is over and or called to do this. And trust me, there are times where, like this morning, I wasn't feeling it today. Just be real honest with you. Today, I, I had some rumblings in my stomach. I was like, I don't know, Jesus. I'm not going to have to have the doctor. I'm going to have my nose. There's still moments where you're like, I don't, you know, even when something looks good on paper, even when something looks good on camera, it's not always the easy thing. And especially if it's not what God's called you to. You know, there are things that need to be done in this church, in this community, that if I put my hand to, I would thoroughly screw up. There was some men here to help rewire this entire facility that we're sitting in, and they use their knowledge of how the electrical systems work to make it work right. To find out if they're trying to do that, I'd be shocked. I'd be like, some stuff right up there somewhere, it's all right. It'd be over. I don't know what I'm doing. But I do know how to do what God called me to. I do know how to be who God has called me to be. And really, that's all we can ask of us. The search for significance will either lead to self-centeredness or self-sacrifice. For some, this becomes a journey of inflated self-importance. We try to prop ourselves up. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, this position that God's granted us after sometimes is one of those positions that takes advantage of this self-aggrandizing idea more than any other. It's hard to be self-important when you work in the nursery church and some little baby's butt. But it's really easy to be self-important when you're standing up here and everybody's looking at you and they're listening to your words. It's really easy to think you've made it when you're standing behind the pulpit and everybody's eyes are focused on you. Actually, in reality, this is my actual service every Sunday. This is my attitude of reasonable service so I would give back to the community what God has deposited in me. And for some of you, He's deposited in different ways. He's deposited creative ways to teach kids. He's deposited within your gifts and talents to play on the worship team. He's deposited with you, within you, a connecting spirit. And for everyone that walks through the door, you shake their hand, you know their name, you connect with them intimately, and they want to come back because they want to see your face. See, God's deposited within each of us something different that helps us gain our significance. Now, the level of significance, excuse me, and a level of self-worth in your life, you'll spend your life doing something that is significant. If you don't have a level of self-worth, you'll waste your life trying to find and to prove how significant you are. So we have two paths to go down. Do something that's significant because you understand the self-worth that's built in your heart through Christ Jesus, or miss out on the self-worth. Don't understand who you really are. And search after trivial things that you think will provide a sense of significance. We do this all the time, right? We go on shopping spree, spend all kinds of money on credit cards. So, so how big we are. 
Sometimes we do this in the way we act towards our spouses. We belittle and we degrade our spouse to make ourselves feel big. It's searching for significance. There's a big difference between significance and self-worth. Self-worth is understanding that in Christ Jesus is the all-encompassing idea of self-worth that I need. I don't need to look for self-worth anywhere else. Jesus Christ makes me worth everything. Why? Because he died on that cross for my sin. While I was dead a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was dead in my sin, Jesus died for me. While I was deep and dark in my sin, God sent his son to rescue me. That proves how much self-worth I have. So the God of the universe will send his Christ son to rescue me from my dead situation. But significance is taking your self-worth and putting it into action in the lives of other people. So we take our self-worth, we take who we are and who we know we are in Christ, and we choose to activate that to our hands and to our feet, to our mouth, and we touch lives around us. Significance is self-worth. Now your Bible through John, first John chapter 4 and verse 10. Self-worth comes by knowing how valuable you really are. It says, in this, or in this is love. Not that we were, that God loved us, but that uh, He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we could do anything to really express our love for God, but that He sent His Son to come as that big theological word says, the propitiation, the saving factor of our sins, that He comes to displace and dispel with all of our mess ups, all of our goof ups, all of our mistakes. And he sets the world to right. He sets the playing field to even. And then as we come back to this reset stage, we understand that we're here for a purpose. Not just to idly get by, not just to get our get out of those free cards. But we're here in Christ Jesus, a part of the family, to do something of significance. When I feel right about myself in Christ Jesus, suddenly there are things and places that Things I won't do in places that I won't go to. Suddenly I feel myself taking a, a different turn because my life has to maintain that attitude of significance. I won't see myself making the same mistakes that I made before. When a person has a true sense of self-worth, they spend their lives doing things that are significant rather than trying to fill a void of feeling the emotions of being significant. We stop trying to inflate our sense of self and self-importance, and we start doing the work that God's committed us to do. Sometimes that's the hardest thing in the world to accomplish. The reality is that there's so much good news in this message and in this message series, and I don't think it's that hard today. I'm reaching to the core, and some of you might even be feeling that emotional pull and pulse. Yes, I'm built for something more, and yes, God loves me, and yes, He's rescued me, and God, I want to know how important I am in your eyes, and God, I want to do something significant. Many of us have heard messages like this, and we felt these feelings. We took pause we walk out the door. We put pause on our actions and on our life as soon as we walk out the door. And we don't take the next action step to identify with the practice of re-identifying ourselves. Changing our self-image. Rewriting our self-worth. We don't take those next steps to do what we can to finally live a significant life. Well, throughout this series and today, I want to encourage you that's where we're going. 
Everybody wants to find a group that they identify with and connect with. Everybody wants to find a group that they're part of. And let me help you out. You're part of the family. If you come here one time or ten times, you are considered part of the family. You never exit this building not being part of the family, great family church. The funny thing is, if you're weird, we're not going to call you weird out on the first day. We'll call out maybe the second or third day. See, we love you so much that we'll accept you where you're at, but we love you way too much to leave you where you're at. We want to help you build and grow and develop into the full character and nature of Christ that you can be. See, if you accept this challenge to find the life and the significant moments where God can grow and develop you as a human person, where He can show you this purpose in your life, it takes us far beyond just coming to church here and then. It takes us far beyond just reading the Bible verse here and there. It takes us far beyond just giving slightly here and there when the pastor asks. It takes us to a place where we invest only in our life. And everything that we are, we give it over to Christ Jesus. So God, you can have it all. When you identify with a group, you start looking like a group. You start acting like a group. You start connecting with a group. And that happens here sometimes in our community, in our church community. But let me help you I don't want a bunch of little calculations. And I don't need 16 pastor lorries. What I need is you to be you. See, God loves the individualism that he brings to the body of Christ. And too often, communities are faced such a preacher, past message that says you should look like the pastor and you should act like the pastor. You should pray like the pastor prays. You should study like the pastor studies. Some help you out. Some of them even tell us that we should have the same privileges. You know, it's okay for us to think differently politically. Doesn't mean you're going to hell, right? It doesn't mean that you're wrong and I'm right or I'm wrong and you're right. What it means is we see see things differently. And if there are some areas that are black and white, we can talk about those. But there are some areas where it's just open ended. And you can argue all day when I can solve it. What does matter is that you're living your life on purpose. And living your life on purpose, that you are finding the source of significance for you to do what God called you to do. To be who God called you to be. We have a tendency to look back at the group and ask for it to reflect back on us exactly what we're supposed to look like. But some people have even taken this verse out of context where Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, and they have manipulated a group of people to look just like the pastor and leadership. All these things that Paul said, listen, I'm on a track, I'm on a journey, I'm going after Jesus. And if you're going to follow me, then let's go for Christ all together as a group. He didn't say, why don't you come with me, but make sure you put on the same shirt and the same shoes and have the same attitude and have the same slang language and have the same this and have the same that. He said, listen, we're going to follow Christ in a whole independent way, but we're all going towards that same goal. We used to deal with this a lot. I'm going to illustrate this even deeper. We used to, we used to see this a lot with um, high school kids when we were doing youth ministry. We were doing youth ministry. We saw this all the time. We saw kids wanting to reflect to the group that they were a part of. We see some little kid, man, he's, he's got two left feet. He can barely walk straight. His pants are always too short because he's growing so fast. His shirt always keeps growing. He's like that 12, 13-year-old kid just can't seem to manage life. Totally socially awkward. And all of a sudden, he joins the football team. And about six months of abuse and practice after abuse and practice, this kid would come out totally different. This little nerdy, wobbly kid who couldn't get anything straight. 
all of a sudden looks like the job to the group. You know, he has the underarm with the head to toe. He's, he's just chasing school colors and school pride. He's just off throw up, walks with his arms out, he's not a football team. We are the kind of team. To reflect back to the group that we're a part of and act looking like doing nothing like okay. You know, I look enough like the group. When you talk about a life of significance, it's not to limit the group you're a part of. It's to find your individual part to play and play it right. Be who God calls you to be. Don't just assimilate to the group and hope that they tell you that you're doing everything right. Be who God calls you to be, even in the face of difference. You might look different, you might sound different, life might be a little different, and a little more challenging for you in other areas, that's okay. Be who God's called you to be. I think it's hard for us at times to wrap our heads around this idea that a life of significance is far more about being called to do what God has called us to do than it is to look the part of the part. But one of the reasons I think we never get there is we miss these steps. One of the next steps, if we're going to move into what God's called us to, if we're going to live a life of significance, if we're going to take that moment and feel more significant about who we are, what are the next steps? Well, it's pretty simple. I don't know if you can translate it on the screen, but the first one is to do something together. You don't have to mimic each other, but you've got to learn how to do something together. Find like-minded individuals in the church. Man, if you want to get, you want to start a small group, you don't need our permission. Go talk with Miss Linda, and she'll help guide you in the right direction. But you don't need our permission to start a small group. You just need a couple other people to hang around you for about a couple weeks. If you want to start a ministry in the church, you don't need my permission. All you need to come is. Talk to me. Share with me what God's downloading your heart. And then find other like-minded individuals who want to do what you want to do. You step out on your own. One of the ways that we fail and feel insignificant is we try to do everything on our own and we forget, as Thomas Merton said, the same as book, no man is an island. You can't do life by yourself. And the second thing is very important, and sometimes it's hard to close down. It's where you get it. Where you get it, you decline your count and your treasure. In family therapy and family counseling, the child that struggles the most is the one who doesn't participate in the family responsibilities. The child that suffers educationally, the child that suffers socially, the child that suffers at almost every level is the child that is not invested in the family responsibilities like the rest of the family. In our lives, it's no different in church. That when people are on the fringe and they're really not connected and they don't feel significant, it's because God's called them to a family and they haven't invested the way they know they should. That's such a simple forgiving of yourself. Don't find your time so precious that you can't give it away. Don't find your talent so precious that you can't give it away. Don't find your treasure so precious that you can't give it away. And tell them what God called you to. Find a way to do something that you like to do and go do it with somebody else and walk in advance the kingdom. I don't care if that means you like knitting. Knitting little booties for all the new babies in the church. Fine, go do that. I don't care if that means that, that you want to hang out with a bunch of, you know, half drunk, half high skaters that are the skate park. Go do it. Find someone to do it with and affect the lives of those kids and of those individuals 
I don't care if you're a bookworm and you just want to consume knowledge, find, find somebody in the church who has that same drive and passion. Connect with them, grow your influence, and watch your significant growth. I think one of the problems in our culture is we don't understand how much we actually impact the lives of others. It's now what moment for today. If we listen to this entire sermon, okay, Pastor, now what? What am I supposed to do with it? In real life, every day, we're affecting someone. In real life, every single day we live, we're affecting someone, whether we know it or not. We may only be affecting the person we work next to. Maybe we're affecting our kids. Maybe it's the barista at Starbucks. It's someone. Someone's life you have an opportunity to affect. The more you step out and do what God's called you to do, the greater likelihood that sex will have an eternal reward and your level, your feeling of significance will rise. I want to encourage you today. Don't hide behind this need to feel significant. Don't hide and hope it goes away. Don't try to smother this need to feel significant by outside and external forces. Find out what God called you to and do it. That might finish you. That's the cross, too. I only want to explain it. Don't worry about asking for permission. One of the reasons revival has not swept this country is too many people are hoping that someday someone will give them permission to do what God called them to do. Stop asking. Go do what God called you to do. If you don't know what that is, ask it. Watch it move in your life. If you don't understand what it is to feel significant, live a life of significance, ask him, God, what, what am I here for? God, what am I really here for? I'm not here just to pay bills and sell power and take a vacation. God, what am I really here for? He'll tell you. He'll tell you. And when he speaks to your heart, don't wait to do it. You might not know how. Maybe God's called you to be a lawyer and you have no education. You might need to find a law school. Maybe God called you to start a business and you have no idea where to even jump off from that pier. Start with a business plan. There's always starting point A. And God will show you the steps if you stay committed. Your life is significant happens the moment you step out of the room and you do what most people fear to do.